we've been approaching this theme in Moses, of Moses, in this new beginning theme, from a slightly different perspective than one would have initially thought. I mean, instead of jumping right in and looking at it from the book of Exodus, is where, where it actually takes place. For the first few weeks, at least, we've been spending time utilizing the seventh chapter of Acts, which is a New Testament book, obviously. And in Acts 7, uh, there is a man named Stephen who is sharing uh, a message. His message has to do with, really, the history of Israel and the tendency of his people. Because Stephen was an early leader, um, one of the first leaders of the early church. He was the first person to ever be killed because of his testimony for Jesus. Uh, He... He, interestingly enough, when he was stoned to death, and that's what happened as this moment culminated, and he declared that his people, his people, had a history of rejecting the prophets, and uh, he was making the case that Jesus had come, and he called him the just one of whom the prophets foretold, that when he made that final declaration about the resistance of their hearts, they were so angry, they declared blasphemy, and they stoned him to death. And one one of the things that we're told in that moment initially it's a side note, is that there was a young zealot, a young man, uh, a proto, a really, uh, he was kind of a prodigy. He was this amazingly brilliant, um, you know, student of the great teacher Gamaliel. And he was holding the, the garments, it says, the coats of those who stoned Stephen to death. And that man's name was, was Saul of Tarsus. And Saul of Tarsus, that young man who, who emerges as this, you know, vehement persecutor, of the, of the church, ultimately becomes the Apostle Paul, and the, the one who becomes the greatest, one of the greatest advocate of Christ that we've ever at least been aware of in terms of just how the gospel spread. And so, just keeping that in mind, Stephen, though, the reason we're looking at it, at it is not from that perspective. I, I really kind of said that to get to this, is that one of the benefits of Stephen's message concerning the span of God's movement with, with Israel was that he gave a concise a history of Moses. And so his description of Moses covers a broad span of material, and it's helpful just sort of be able to look at it. So that's what we're going to do real quickly here in Acts 7 as a point of just connecting back to where we've been. In Acts 7, verse 29, and again, Stephen is, is sharing here. He's saying these words. He's saying, he's talking to his people about their history, the history of their people, and Moses specifically. And he says then at, at this saying, that is when Moses found out that he had been discovered for having killed the Egyptian he thought no one had seen it, but he, it was clear to him when his own people uh, uh, it to, you know, basically said, we saw you kill that man yesterday, that he was in trouble. Um, he was neither going to be covered by his own, and nor was it going to be something that he could explain away. And so he ran for his life as a fugitive. Leaving his life in Egypt behind, he made his way across the wilderness into uh, the, the region of Midian. And we're told in Acts 7, 29, at this saying that Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian. And it was there in this place that he had two sons. And Stephen goes on to say, when 40 years had passed, so there's a 40-year gap between the end of 29 and the beginning of 30. When 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. That's where we spent a lot of the fall, talking about the experience that Moses had around the burning bush and how that was a, a way that God reawakened him to a calling. And we, we, we go on, though. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him, saying, I am the God of your fathers. I'm the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled, and he dared not look at it. But then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Now, it wasn't holy ground. 
because of its geographical location. In other words, there's not this secret place that we find our way into in the Sinai wilderness, that there's this one spot that's the most holy spot of all. That's not what God was saying. God was saying is, this is holy ground, not because of its unique location, but because of the unique presence of the unique one that is now uniquely sitting upon it. And Moses, you are in the very presence of God, so come in a place of humility. Then it says, Stephen went on to say this, that the Lord continued saying to Moses, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and I've heard their groaning, and I've come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. I've come down to deliver them, and I'm sending you. Oftentimes, God's method of deliverance is through other people. And then it says, um, Stephen goes on to say, this Moses whom they rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one that God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer, a leader and a savior by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. We know what happens next, by the way. After Moses finally, and again, we talked about the whole wrestling match and how long it took Moses to finally yield and agree to move forward with God's plan. We know that after that, instead of just going straight from that place around the bush, heading off into Egypt to do what God had asked him to do, Moses actually instead returns home. And he has a very important conversation. It's important to him. We're told that it was, it was important for him to talk to a man. It was his father-in-law, a man named Jethro. Jethro was also known as Ruel had become something of a spiritual mentor. He was called the priest of Midian. He was the father of uh, Moses' wife, Sephora. He was someone who clearly Moses had come to hold in high regard. And so what's interesting is that Moses does not just uh, feel that he can just leave without having a conversation. In fact, he wants more than that. He wants a blessing. One of the things that's revealed about Moses is that he was a person who really honored his commitments. Commitments mattered to him. In fact, that's probably, we could say that may have been one of the reasons why he was so reluctant to make a commitment, because he understood that when he gave it, it was going to cost him dearly. He was not the type of person just haphazardly, um, recklessly, you know, flippantly, casually, just sort of give a, in a cavalier fashion a commitment just because he was caught up in the moment. Moses is someone who was far more thoughtful. In fact, it, it's something that actually was, he was having a hard time doing. And I know that fear can play a role in our reluctance to make commitments. And I know that without our willingness to make commitment, we can really never move forward with God. It's impossible. But Jesus was also saying, and that's true, by the way, with any deep, true relationship. But one of the things that the Lord Jesus himself said frequently when he was in ministry was that there were, there were early on, especially when he was popular, there were many people who wanted to attach themselves, and they got very excited about the things that he was saying. And they could see that Jesus was someone who was unlike any other, and they were, they were impacted by his words, and, and many people believed he was the promised one, the coming Messiah. In what is known by theologians as the year of Jesus' popularity, people were flocking to him from everywhere. He would constantly come into contact with people who would say, I want to follow you. I want to be one of your disciples. And you know, what's interesting is Jesus would often talk these people out of making a, a reckless, rash commitment. He would say, do you really understand what you're committing yourself to? He said, you know, and he would, he would often engage people he, by, by asking them to count the cost. And don't just make this commitment, say you're going to do it, but then not be prepared to follow through if the tide turns against us. Because if all you do is out of the emotion of this moment, make this commitment, and don't really think through what you're committing yourself to, then it won't last. It, we will not have the legs that it needs to hold itself when the, when the time gets difficult. 
And so Jesus would talk about things like in the, in the parable of the sower. He'd talk about how initially the person would make a commitment and receive the word, and they'd start out all fired up. But then he says when the sun began to beat down on that seed and, and, and the pressures and the difficulties and the tribulation came, he says it would wilt away under the heat of the noonday sun. He was talking about the commitment that sometimes is made in the emotion of the moment. This is what we're going to do. I'm with you all the way. And what happens is Jesus knew he knew that there were pre- when the pressure comes, it's going to test the commitment. And Moses was a person who understood commitment. And so that's one of the reasons, perhaps, that he was reluctant to, to make it. But when he did, he really made them. And he made a commitment to his father-in-law to serve him, uh, to, to take over, to really to take the business and to honor him, it, it meant something for Moses. You know, someone would have said to Moses, Moses, come on, I mean, God's, God spoke to you. You know what you're supposed to do. Why do you need to bother getting the old man's blessing? You know, just tell him what you're doing and let it be. I mean, Moses would probably say something like this. You know what? You don't understand. It's not about do I have to. I want his blessing. I want the, I want the, the weight of his blessing behind me. And so we're told here, look at it. I just put this in there. It says this it's in, from Exodus 4, verses 18 through 20. So Moses went and he returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and he said to him, please, I ask you, let me go and return to my, brothers, my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And one of the things we can't tell is how much of what happened with Moses at the burning bush did he actually tell his father-in-law? In other words, did he say, you know what, God's told me this is going to happen, I need to do this? Or did he just say, you know what, I need to be released, I need to go back? It's time. Either way, one thing we know is this, it mattered to Moses that Jethro blessed him. One of the things that, again, Moses reveals is that he was someone who, who, was, who cared about this, this man's opinion in his life. And it goes on to say that Jethro said to Moses, go in peace, have the blessing of God upon you. From me, I give it to you. What a beautiful thing to be given a blessing. And the Lord then said to Moses and Midian, go, return to Egypt. For all the men who sought your life, they're dead. And then Moses took his wife, his sons. He set them on a donkey. He returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod. It doesn't say Moses took his staff. Now it's called the rod of God in his hand. And we talked about the change that had occurred there. That was the same staff, the same piece of wood that Moses had selected, carved out, that was now fitted to his hand over, over a lengthy period of time that he had used. It's the, it's the piece of wood that he used as a weapon to defend himself. It's the, it's the piece of wood that he had rested on when he was tired. Um, it's, it's the piece of wood that he had used to balance himself when he was having to negotiate difficult terrain. That piece of wood, the Lord said, that rod in your hand, which was in many ways a very extension of his very arm. He says, that rod in your hand that you've come to know, rely upon, that rod is now called the rod of God, and it's going to be that which I work my power through. In other words, Moses, the strength will not be in you. The strength will be in me. The power is not going to be in you to do this thing. It will be through me. Moses, what you have come to lean upon in your weary times, remember, lean on me. Moses, when you need strength to prevail, lean on me. I am your need. Powerful truth. Okay, we know what happens next. We know that Moses leaves. And some of us need to be reminded, God is our strength. Lean on me. Moses then proceeds to go to Egypt. This marks the third great transition in his life. The first one occurs when he was a baby. He didn't even know it. His parents decide they're not going to slay him, they, to just cooperate with the decree of Pharaoh to kill their own son. They take a, a, a risk. They create a, an ark. They, put, they 
fill it with pitch so it won't sink, and they put their son in it, praying that God will do a miracle, and God did one in this case. And Moses is taken from the river, and he's, a, he's taken by Pharaoh's daughter, and he's adopted by her, and he's raised as one of her sons. He's given um, an amazing exposure as a prince in Egypt. And that marks, really, that from that period of his adoption by Pharaoh's daughter up until the moment where he decides to make a break and to, in his anger, he kills the Egyptian slave master who's beating the Hebrew slave. And in that moment, which sets in motion everything else as he runs for his life, it's that running for his life that gets him into the land of Midian that marks the second transition point in Moses' life. The Bible tells us it occurred when he was 40 years old. And then for 40 years, Moses lived as a shepherd. I think we can assume that he, he felt that he would live the rest of his life out as a shepherd. For, so 40 years he's there serving Jethro. He's growing older, obviously. But that transition period of his life, this, this marks the beginning of a new chapter as Moses returns. I would like us to think for a moment. I just want to put a couple things on the board. What, what are some things that emerged during those 40 years that are worth noting? This, that period when he was in the wilderness, that wilderness season. One of the things that's pretty clear that happens here, and I just kind of moved through this fairly rapidly, is that Moses had obviously established a relationship with his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, that was quite meaningful to him. That, that this man had become a mentor figure in his life, that his opinion mattered. So that one of the things that transpires over those four decades as Moses' identity is being reshaped is that he develops a very deep and abiding relationship with his father-in-law. And that's an important relationship to him. Secondly, one of the things that also transpires there in that wilderness season of Moses' life is he becomes a different kind of man, a different kind of leader. You know, shepherding for decades had changed him in dramatic ways. He was not the same man. I mean, besides the fact that he was just older, a lot older. And age affects us. We change. We're not the, none of us are the same people we were two, three decades ago. This is not how the, life affects us, changes us. As the years go by, we change. Moses had changed. I mean, he was a different kind of man, clearly, than the supremely confident, almost swashbuckling, you know, physical leader who had been carved out of the quarry of the Egyptian elite. This is a different kind of a man. This is a man who's far more meek. He's far more reluctant. He's far more um, uh, modest. He's, he's a man who possesses a shepherd's sensibility in his older years. He's different. Thirdly, he also, along the way, acquired new skills. Those skills obviously were connected with his life as a shepherd. They were wilderness skills, survival skills. The desert and its barrenness that for many would be a graveyard had become for him a place that he was extraordinarily familiar with. In fact, he probably knew the Sinai wilderness like the, like the back of his hand. I mean, he was so comfortable there. And what's more, he, 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 the, the map uh, was in his head. That would become a very significant thing when he would lead his people in that very wilderness, a different kind of flock. So keeping that in mind, using it as a template, what I'd like us to do is to take sort of this aspect of who Moses was and what happened to him during this waiting period. And what I'm going to share, what we're going to share here, 
are some ideas that are most suited. Now listen, they would be most, they're most suited for those of us who are in a transition place or in a waiting place. So these are principles for, wait, for the waiting places, the wilderness places, the transition place. I also believe that as we move into this new year, they could be very helpful for us just thinking about how we are going to move into this new year. So bearing in mind sort of what, it, what, what, what things can happen in these waiting places of life. Let me suggest firstly, again, drawing off of Moses' life, that number one, the waiting places of life in these, in these seasons of our life, uh, these transition places of life, as we move into this new year, that we need to be open to cultivating and nurturing our key relationships. This is a huge thing. Again, drawing off of what happened with Moses and what Jethro meant to him, especially, I think, the relationships that are important to us in a spiritual context. But, that, but I don't want to be exclusive about that. I mean, obviously, what, what are the most meaningful relationships that we have? And what would cultivating and nurturing them look like? What does it mean to pay attention? I mean, one of the things that's clear is that Moses had cultivated this very deep and rich relationship with his father-in-law, and he clearly valued his blessing and his role in his life. And he was reluctant to violate that relationship. In fact, he goes out of his way to make sure to explain why he needs to go. And um, you know what's interesting is that later on, his father-in-law will give Moses... um, some of the best advice he was ever given. In fact, some people have called Jethro um, the Bible's first business consultant because he will give him a piece of advice that we still actually can utilize today, and we're going to look at it a little bit later in the, in the weeks ahead. But it's an amazing piece of advice and counsel that, that Jethro gives Moses at a very crucial time when Moses is, is looking at things in a, from a very narrow perspective and a narrow paradigm Jethro will get him to think about things in a different way. It was a value of counsel. You know what it reminds us? It reminds us of of why it's important not to burn bridges relationally as well. If Moses had just recklessly just said, I don't care about it, I'm doing what God told me, and didn't actually pay attention to that relationship, he may have never ever received the benefit that that relationship was going to give him down the line. Some of us in our haste or in our offense are far too quick to cut something out that it would be far better for us to, to handle in a different way so that we keep the, the door open because life isn't a... It, the longer I, I live, the more I realize that, that life doesn't always go the way we think it will go. And oftentimes the roads that we think are leading us far away circuitously bring us all the way back to where we were. And those relationships, that we, how we left those relationships or how we tended to those relationships in our parting actually matter more than we know. And so whatever, so I guess one question I would, would just put out there is what are the key relationships that even now, maybe as we've been talking here, we, someone's name has come to our mind or a person in our life, it might be a friend, a family member, somebody who's a part of our, our small group. Um, but, but who are the people that the Lord really has reminded us that this is, a, this is a valuable relationship, that one of your goals this year should be to pay attention and cultivate and honor and nurture that relationship, to engage it. And how do we do that? How, what would that look like? Certainly one of the ways is by engaging in conversation, by explaining our heart, praying for one another, um, just being there, being attentive, investing our time, our emotion, our thought. Moses took time to cultivate that relationship with his father-in-law and to explain to him and to get his blessing. There's, there's something there for us. Secondly, 
closely connected to it, these wilderness seasons of life, these waiting periods, even as we move into this new year, it's a wonderful time, just like it was for Moses, to cultivate certain kind of characteristics in our character. Uh, for example, it's an opportunity for character growth in our life. It really is. Um, in the wilderness, living the life of a shepherd, Moses grew in his leadership capacities. We mentioned that on the surface. It wouldn't have seemed so. I mean, how do you grow as a leader? I mean, it seemed like, if anything, it would have seemed like he had grown dormant. His life had grown dormant, that he was going nowhere. I mean, in some people's eyes, being a shepherd was not just a humble occupation. In some people's eyes, it was a demeaning occupation. And you didn't do a lot, necessarily, on the surface. He wasn't really leading anything but sheep. But huh, shepherding required certain types of qualities. It required things like consistency, dependability, foresight. It required a self-sacrificing kind of vigilance. It required a kind of gentleness of bearing. All these qualities that were so different from the earlier version of Moses, the version that was, was so strong and confident and forceful. This new Moses, this Moses who had developed in these 40 years, was a different kind of a person. He was not the powerful, young, you know, you know, highly trained leader with his future ahead of him. He was a whole different type of person, but he had learned certain qualities. He had, he had come to peace with it. In other words, God was shaping his servant to be a different kind of leader. Instead of a prince or a potentate, he was shaping him to be a shepherd of his people. And that's an interesting thing to think about. Now, the, for what, I guess the question we, worth asking for us is what chisel work or shaping work does God want to do in us this year? Are the things that God's trying to do and work, he is the master potter, we say. What is he trying to do? What edges of our character, our personality, is he trying to buff out? Because these are patterns of behavior that we've allowed to sort of be, be formed in us, and when we react to things, that's what comes out of us. Some of us have patterns of behavior that we fall into when we get depressed. They're destructive. They're not helpful. They're not going to move us forward. They're going to hurt people that we love and care for. And not only that, they damage our own walk and our own relationship with God. They undercut our ability to live with some degree of integrity and sincerity. And God wants to teach us how to grow past those things, to equip us how to be able to negotiate these areas of our lives. Some of those things are connected to things in our past. Some of them are connected to things that we've, we've witnessed all our life, we, growing up. And so our natural reaction is to fall into these patterns. Or, or you know, they're almost like those, those, those things that are sort of in the ground that over time that just establish themselves. They're ruts is what they are. They're ruts that we get ourselves into. They're naturally worn grooves that we fall into at certain times. And you know, God's trying to break us out of that stuff. God wants to grow us, gradually shape us. I mean, one of the questions we would be worth asking is what features need to emerge out of the marble of who we are? I think about Michelangelo and the way that he approached his, his sculpting and the chiseling that he did and the way he shaped his, his art. And one of the things they, people would often say, because you know, you, we see the finished work like a David. I mean, this is remarkable. You can almost make, it can almost make you cry in a moment. It's so beautiful. And yet there are other pieces of, of his work where they weren't completed. And they're actually, you can see them, half still in the block of marble, but the people are half out, emerging. You have this emerging thing coming out of the marble. 
and, 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 and they're in different forms and shapes. And they would say to him, are you creating? He would say, no, I'm releasing the, what's inside of it to come out. I'm releasing that. And see, the marble, they almost look like people coming out. And in a way, out of the marble, right? They're emerging. It's the same way. God trying to get us to emerge into something new. God's trying to chisel away the things that are keeping us from moving into who he really has for us to be. And again, it's not just for us. It's to be the blessing in the life that we have been meant to be. That there are people that we affect and lives that we touch and influence, many of whom are not even born yet who will be affected by the decisions we make in secret. It matters to God. The healthiness of our life matters. The way we live and love and relate to people matters. It matters to God. It matters. It affects things. Let me tell you, I think a lot of times we, we forget that. We, 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 we don't really pay attention enough to what God's trying to do in our lives. But I can say this. If we can just get a little bit further down, a little more free, a little more out, um, that will be a great victory. Because as it goes along, we start to get, as the time goes by, if we stay on a growing plane, what all of a sudden more and more of us starts to emerge in God. That's beautiful. And then, and then thirdly, what else, what else can we do in these waiting places, in these wilderness places? What else can we do in this as we move into this new year? Pulling off of Moses' story, we can also de- determine to develop new skill sets. And this is really important for us. We can acqu- be open to acquiring new skills. Moses acquired another set of skills in the wilderness. He learned how to survive in the desert places. He knew where the watering holes were. In, in the intermediate transition times in life in the longer, or in the longer wilderness seasons of life, one of the things they allow us to do is an, they give us an opportunity to either uh, acquire new skills or to improve or reactivate ones that were once sharp but we've let them go. So it's, we, can, we can choose how, a lot of times the problem is we get discouraged, we get defeated, um, we, we quit, we don't, we don't, we're stopped, we're not contending anymore, we, we sort of just kind of wave the flag, yeah, we're open, but, and thing is, these are, but this season can be a season of dramatic opportunity for us. And I was saying, you know, a lot of times these waiting places, um, if we will approach them in an optimistic, faith-filled way, we will find, and ask God to help us, we will find that there are opportunities for us to really grow in dramatic ways, profound ways. Um, think about, I'll give you some practical things. I was just thinking about this. This is just things that hit me. In the waiting places, for example, that we may find ourselves in sometimes, it's a great time to, to volunteer for things. Instead of just sitting it out, get involved. Um, try to, to connect with others. Do something meaningful. That, that means something for us. Uh, connect. Stay active, like the blood flowing, the mind thinking, right? The heart pumping. Also, some of us might want to think about, and this is going to, this might not hit everybody, but it's, it's, it's important for me, is, is to think about in the waiting seasons, in terms of acquiring new skills, really rededicate ourselves to reading. I think reading is an oft, often underestimated growth opportunity. It's one of the reasons why we're trying to, to encourage everyone to read their Bible. But just reading quality literature, quality, quality work, reading. What does reading do? Reading activates the imagination. 
Reading has a way of opening us up to things. Reading increases our vocabulary. Reading really helps us to grow. It's, it's a way of keeping our mind fresh and young, filled with new ideas and new ways of seeing. It's different even than traveling. Reading can take us, and we can go places when we read. We go places in our mind when we read. It's, there's something about it that can be very powerful dynamically in our lives. It's one of the things that sometimes having extra space in our lives allows us to do, is to have quality time to engage our thinking. Another thing to consider in these waiting places is considering pursuing a different kind of an education, maybe a certificate, maybe a little training program, maybe taking a class somewhere, doing something that is in an area that will expand us, grow us, use the time in a meaningful fashion. It may mean getting, um, how would I say, getting around people who sharpen us is another thing that I think is real important. You know, in the book of Hebrews, it says, let us consider one another to provoke. This is the older version, the version, the language of the older scripture. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works. Then it goes on to say, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, which is what we're doing now, as the manner of some is, but exhorting, encouraging one another so much the more as we think about Christ's ultimate coming. But the idea, the idea of provoking one another to love and good works, it's an interesting phrase. Let's consider one another to stir up, to provoke one another to love and good works. It, it really reminds us, to, in the waiting places, to, to fill our lives with, with so, at some level with people who will sharpen us and challenge us to grow. So that we, because there's something about training with someone or running with someone, you know, there's something, I know in my life, there have been times where I have been very motivated because of a conversation I've had listening to someone who I was going, wow, if, in fact, that is, is stirring me to want to do something besides just take the easy way. And that sharpens me. And then we talk about this need to sharpen the saw at times, to pay attention to ourselves, um, not just to, to because it's, it's a self-focus, but because there are times where we've been going so hard, we've been sawing and sawing and sawing and sawing, but the edge of that saw it's, it, we're, we're doing the same amount of work. We're getting less and less for it. We're not pay, we're, they're, they're, we all have a need for renewal. We have a need to catch our breath. We have a need to sharpen that saw so that that blade, which is getting dull because it's been used so much, can ultimately, see, ultimately produce something more effective. It's the law of diminishing returns, you know. I mean, a lot of times we say, I can't afford to do it. I got to stay with this. I got to stay with this. Well, sometimes the, in the bigger picture, taking a little bit of time, pulling out of that and saying, you know what? I am going to just pay attention. I'm going to sharpen this. I'm going to take care of this. I'm going to renew this. I'm going to pay attention to my spirit. I'm going to pay attention to some things that I've been neglecting. I'm going to slow down. And then I'm going to come back for the purpose of re-engagement. But I'm coming back with this whole edge sharpened up. And whatever time I lost, I will pick it up and then some. Because I'm, I'm being far more effective. And I often think about effectiveness, efficiency, effectiveness, doing the right things, efficiency, doing things right. We talk about that a lot. What are our priorities? One of the things, because believe me, there's nothing more horrifying than being very efficient, but we're cutting down the wrong tree. That's a real, not a good thing, because we go, oh my goodness, I, I have my priorities all mixed up. I've been working so hard sawing, and I'm really good at it, too. But I'm, I'm, I'm good at it, but then I go, oh my goodness, it's the wrong tree. it was the wrong tree. I, I, I just, all this time, I was cutting the wrong thing. See, if, it, it reminds us to ask ourselves questions. Am I focusing my energy? Am I doing all this good? But, but 
it's, it's so much less than what it could be because I'm focused on the wrong things. You know, even the Lord established what? It, it will happen with his own people. He will tell Moses, you need to have some governing values. I'm going to give you what we call the Ten Commandments, right? And these commandments are going to be for you to live as a people because you have no boundaries. You don't know how to live. And then he says this. One of those commands, guess what? It stands out like it's odd. Remember the Sabbath and keep it. Have a day of rest. Nowhere else had anybody. And that is so radically different than anything that had ever been said. A law to rest. Because God says, you are not made for work alone, but to live in the life of the word of God. And I want my people to live in a healthy way, in a way that is filled with my life. And he's saying, you need to pull back sometimes. Think about me. Think about what's important. Catch your breath. Remember why you're doing what you're doing. Where are we going? What are we sawing? Is, you know what I'm saying? Is the edge dull that needs to be sharpened? Otherwise, we're doing more and more and getting less and less. See, these are the questions. These are the questions we need to push into. And that leads us to the last thing, which is this. In these seasons, it's a time truly where we have an opportunity to draw near to God. And that should not be just thrown off as an aside. It's not just a nice aside. I mean, that, listen, Moses met God in the desert in a way that he had never met him before. The Lord said, I know you by name, Moses. I have a new way for you, a new beginning for you. You are old. You think you're done. But I have a new thing. I have a new thing I want to do. A fresh thing, a life. You can't put me in a box. Moses, Moses was thinking, you know, I've been deactivated. God says, no, you haven't. You're just being prepared. I, got, I have something because you can't box me in. Don't do that. God has, God has a word for you and a word for me and a way for us to go. He knows our name. Lord, as we think about this time in our lives, as we think about where we are in this year, as we think about where we are in the context of a broken world, you've given us this opportunity, Lord, to grow and to become. Lord, teach us not to get stuck in the marble of where we are. We welcome you into our lives to keep chiseling out us, uh, away at us, Lord, so that more of who we are meant to be in you can emerge. Let us see that. Let us see. I pray that for all of us, Lord, whether we're, whether we're just starting out with you, whether we're, we've been serving you for a long, long time. Lord, remember that there's so many things you can still do in our lives that, that, that will be a blessing and life-giving and that you're the God who calls us to a growing place. And, and we need to periodically remind ourselves of that, Lord. And so I just pray that as we, as we bring this time to a close, that, that that word would rest upon us, Lord. And, uh, we, you know, we, we pray, yes, for our time of giving. And, and those of us who are committed to our church here and, and to you, Lord, we will give of our tithes and offerings. But, Lord, also this song that we end with that speaks about just what it means to, to trust you in the changing places of life and to, to let you stir our heart towards a hopeful place. And so we ask for your blessing over these closing minutes. Let us just sit with this word. This is what we pray in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. Amen. Amen.